Our scripture today is found in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at, at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Thank you, David. If we gave an award for the most difficult scripture reading, David Brewer is the champ. Thank you. And don't you think for one minute that Brewer hadn't been practicing that list a lot before this morning. Well, why don't you go ahead and find your place in Romans 16 if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to continue. We only have two more weeks left in the book of Romans and we'll bring it to a close. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's bringing this letter to the church at Rome to a close. We're going to look at that this morning. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. Find your place there. And I've, I've probably had more questions this week and more comments, even this morning leading up to say, okay, Pastor Mike, I've looked over Romans 16. What are you going to do with all those names? I mean, what, what's the point of these lists of 25 names of people here that Paul is writing to? And here's what I want to say about that. I, I am incredibly grateful to just be part of a church that believes, man, we're going to preach word for word through the Word of God, through the Bible. Because I guarantee many, if not all of you in this room, have come to Romans 16 and you've said, well, that's just a bunch of names. I can't read them. I don't know how to say them. I don't know what they mean. Let's go on to Philippians or something. And I'm just telling you, for me personally, spending some time in this passage the last couple weeks has been incredibly enriching to my soul. And I want that for you this morning. Here's another reason I, I really like preaching through texts like this. 
I guarantee today is going to be the greatest sermon you have ever heard on Romans chapter 16. Because it's the only one you've probably ever heard on Romans 16, 1 through 16. So here's what we've got, all right? We've got the Apostle Paul finishing this letter that has taken us to the heights of theological truth, of the greatness of God, the explanation of the gospel, the implication of the gospel of Jesus into every area of our life. He's now wrapping up this letter and he comes to some very personal greetings to the li- into the lives of men and women who are at the church at Rome. Here's a good takeaway for me personally, as even I've read this, as we read through Romans 16. You've got the Apostle Paul, who's a real person, writing to a real church made up of real people. And man, you're going to meet them. You're all this about the church at Rome, and, and now in Romans 16, you have faces and histories and lives and stories, and you see how the gospel intertwines and connects the body of Christ together in just really miraculous ways. Another takeaway for me in this was that as you think about Paul and the guy who wrote this, you see that a life, a life that is faithfully pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully standing true to the truth of Scripture, faithfully giving themselves to the advancement of the gospel, that life is going to enjoy the fruit of deep, meaningful, enduring relationships with others. And Paul gives you a list of men and women of their lives and how they've become intertwined over the last 20 years or 25 years of his ministry of making Christ known and advancing the gospel as an apostle of Christ. So Romans 16, you've got a list of people. Now, it starts out with a commendation of one person who is not a part of Rome. She's coming to Rome. We'll tell you about her in a minute. And then you've got a list of all these other people who were part of the church at Rome. You've got him using endearing terms like sister, kinsman. He says fellow worker. He says fellow prisoner. Some of these folks he's writing to have been in prison with Paul. Most of these people he's met before, some he's heard about. He maybe has met them in Jerusalem at some point. We're going to see that. He's met them and come in contact with them in Corinth or Ephesus or somewhere in this 1,400-mile range of territory that he's been preaching and making Jesus known. This is an incredibly diverse group of people. You've got Gentiles and you've got Jews. You've got men and you've got women. You've got married couples, single men, single women. You've got business people and widows. You've got slaves and royalty. You've got young and old, rich and poor, all making up the church at Rome. Man, it's a beautiful picture. In fact, one of the things I love about Romans 16 is it gives us a little glimpse into what the early church 2,000 years ago was like. How did they interact? Who who made up the early church? How did God put that thing together in his grace? We're going to see a glimpse of that this morning. As I said earlier, likely Paul met some of these when he was in Corinth. He's writing from Corinth this letter to the church at Rome. He met some of these folks there. He met some of these folks when he served in Jerusalem years back. As he was in Ephesus, you're going to see some of these folks he met in Ephesus. And here's another thing that stands out to me as we read this passage. I think you're going to see this. God in his greatness has inspired every single word of Scripture. Every word. 
So you're going to see some words that you just casually kind of read over. And if we'll stop and meditate on those words, we realize, man, God has packed some meaning in there for us. Some things for us this morning as a church, as the body of Christ. So let's take a look at the body of Christ. Let's take a look at the church at Rome and be introduced to some of these incredible men and women that made up the church at Rome. Verse 1, Paul begins this way. He says, I first, I want to commend to you. Now, the word commend basically means I want to introduce somebody to you. So the first person he's going to mention has never been to Rome, or as much as we know, she's not a part of the church at Rome. She's coming to Rome. Paul says, I want to introduce this person to you. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. She was a servant of the church at Centraea. Pastor Mike, are you pronouncing that right? Does it matter? Do you think you know how to pronounce it any better? Come on. I'm just saying what David Brewer said. So if you don't like. said she was a servant at the church at Centuria. Now what does that mean? Well, Corinth was an inland city. Paul's writing from Corinth. About seven miles away was a town called Centuria on the coast. Evidently, the church at Corinth had sent out a church planning team. Phoebe was a part of it, and she was a part of starting this church at Centuria. She says he's invested her life in this church at Centraea. And I'm, in, I'm commending her to you, verse 2, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of saints. Man, Paul has a high view of this woman named Phoebe. He says when she gets to you, I want you to welcome her as in a way that is commending to saints. and is, is worthy of a saint. She is a sister of mine in the Lord. He says, I want you to help her in whatever she may need from you. There's a particular word in there that we get the word pragmatic from, and it leads commentators to believe everything we know about Phoebe, she was a successful businesswoman in Corinth who was going to Rome for a particular business purpose. She needed somewhere to stay. She needed to be welcomed by the church at Rome. Paul says, I commend to you, Phoebe. You welcome her when she gets there. Paul says, for she has been a patron the word patron means benefactor it means supporter it means phoebe and this kind of lends to what i said earlier was a very successful woman in business she was a woman of means and paul said she's been a benefactor of my ministry and of many others This woman had financially supported the ministry of paul maybe the ministry at corinth evidently the the ministry at centraea He says, she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. So here's Paul. He says, I want you to meet somebody. Her name's Phoebe. Her name means bright and radiant. She's a sister in the Lord. And evidently, what we know is Paul entrusted Phoebe. He had so much confidence in her. Watch this. She didn't write the letter to Romans. She carried it from Corinth to Rome. Phoebe was the means by which Paul says, I'm going to write this letter, the inspired word of God. I'm going to put it in your hands, and I'm even going to mention you in the letter that when you get there, they'll welcome you. And you make sure this letter gets delivered to the church at Rome. I'm thankful for Phoebe, aren't you? (laughs) 
So he says, she's a sister in the Lord. I want you to welcome her. She is a servant. The word diakonos, just the idea of a general servant, seems to be implied here. She served the church. You receive her as you receive me. You give her somewhere to stay. You be a blessing to her. So here's what we can conclude from this first character Paul introduces here. She was a godly, influential woman of evidently great means. It seems she was a widow. She had supported the ministry of Paul and others, likely on her way to Rome on business. And Paul entrusts her with this letter to carry to Rome. And he says, I want you to welcome your sister Vivi in the Lord. Now this morning, because of the way this text is laid out, it would really be pushing it to say we've got one big truth that comes out of it. So we're not going to do that this morning. But I am going to give you four or five big ideas that kind of flow out of the text as we go, all right? So i got some big ideas that come across this. So looking at Phoebe, understanding the body of Christ, here's big idea number one. The church is made up of men and women on mission together. The church is designed to be males and females serving alongside one another. Phoebe is an example of that. Any notion, somehow, some way, that we get in our mind that in the church, because you are a female, you are to be relegated to the sidelines and only a spectator. If you have that notion, that is simply not a biblical notion. Phoebe was a servant. She was a benefactor. She served the church in such a way. Watch this. She didn't write the letter of Romans, but boy, she carried it to, to Rome. So in the church, the idea that there is any inequality in the genders is just a crazy notion. Now, as a Bible-believing church, we hold very strictly to the idea that the office of elder, the office of pastor, according to 1 Timothy 2 and 3, is reserved for qualified men. That's God's way. God's designed it that way. Why, Pastor Mike? God wanted it that way. You can go read it. That's a clear distinction of role. But within the body of Christ, there's no distinction in value and the ability for men and women to serve in vibrant ministry alongside one another. And we see that from the life of Phoebe. And we want to continue to practice that here at this church. Listen, I'll just tell you this. The church needs the ministry of men, but I'll say this. The church needs the ministry of women. <laughs> Thank God for the gifts that women bring to the body of Christ. Thank God for Phoebe. So Paul holds her out as an example of a woman who had faithfully served the church. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 3. He says, I want to introduce somebody else to you. I want, to, I want you to greet. He's not introducing now. He moves from introducing to greeting. He says, I want to introduce Phoebe, but I want you to give my greetings to the rest. He's going to give the list to you. He says, I want you to greet Prisca and Aquila. The name Prisca is used elsewhere in the New Testament, the name Priscilla. So this is Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, verse 4, who risk their lives, their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church that is in their house. And we don't know a whole lot about Priscilla and Aquila, but we know quite a bit because they're mentioned in the New Testament. We know this. Paul evidently met them when he was in Corinth. We know they were in Rome for a period of time. They were a Jewish married couple that were incredibly important in the life of the Apostle Paul. When he first comes to Corinth in Acts 18, the Bible says he found Priscilla and Aquila. Now let me read this to you. 
This is Acts 18. This is when he first meets this couple. He says, after this, Paul left from Athens. This is like on his second missionary journey. Travels down to Corinth. And he says, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently who had come from Italy, Rome, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So as a Jewish couple, they were in Rome for a time. The emperor said, if you're a Jew, you got to get out of Rome. They fled Rome, went to Corinth for a period of time. They intersected the life of the apostle Paul. And now, years later, evidently they're back in Rome. It says also in the book of Acts, and because he was of the same trade as them, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So they welcomed Paul into their home when he was in Corinth. This couple evidently becomes very dear to the apostle Paul. Now there's some standout things about this couple. One that you can't miss is verse 4. It says, listen, Priscilla and Aquila literally laid down their lives for me. We don't know what that's making reference to, so it would only be conjecture. But at some point, Paul's life, think about this, was in such peril that if Priscilla and Quilla hadn't stepped in, the Apostle Paul's a goner. And Paul says, this couple has risked their lives for me. Now listen, I don't know that any of you are going to be called to take a bullet for Pastor Mike. Jeremy Malone, I think you probably would, but I don't know this week you're going to have to throw out your life for that. But here's what happens in the local church. Ready? The local church, and this is big idea number two, you get it from this couple, the local church is made up of people giving their lives in service to one another. That's what the church is. Paul Paul said, this is such an extreme example, Priscilla and Aquila literally laid down their lives for me, were going to die for me. As a picture of the body of Christ. The church is us laying down our lives in sacrifice for one another. Say, I don't know that I'll have to take a pull it, but I would. But here's what does happen. Ready? We serve one another with our time. I want you to know, while we're gathered here, I said it this morning because I'm so thankful for it. I say it as a parent. I say it as a pastor. While we're here this morning, there's something like 25 to 30 student leaders who took time off work, gave their entire weekend, and they're at Doe River Gorge investing into our students. Thank God for the sacrifice of their time and efforts in ministry. Thank God for that. We give our resources, we give our money, we give our homes. Many of you are life group guides or your life group hosts and you welcome people into your home. And listen, I know what it's like every week. Got to get the house cleaned up, got to straighten up, got people coming over, all that. I get that. But you sacrifice so that the saints can gather in your home. Thank you for that. We give of our resources. We give regularly through our tithes and offerings. Yes, Can I tell you what absolutely blesses me as an elder and pastor of this church? To hear when needs arise in members of our church and their families, and you're able to just sit back and watch, and the body of Christ serves and cares for one another and meets needs financially. That is awesome. We sacrifice that way. Listen, we sacrifice our energy. I want you to to do a little exercise here this morning. Watch this. I want you to listen how quiet it is in here. Ready? Do you know why it's so quiet in here? Because there is an army of volunteers who give their lives to serve you every week and take care of our children. 
Not that we don't want them in the service. We do. We love that. We have family services sometimes. But sometimes it's kind of nice, parents, right, to be able to focus on what God's doing and hear the Word of God without having to, you know, discipline, keep your kids straight, all that. There's an army of volunteers that serve you and sacrifice by watching and taking care of our kids. We give our time to listen to one another, to meet one another's needs, to pray for one another, to meet needs as they arise. We give our time. Can I give you a practical application? I love seeing this happen in our church, and it is happening Can I give you an area that I'd like to see us grow? Give our time and sacrifice that when the first song begins to be sung on Sunday morning, we're here in our seats ready to worship. Now, first service, they kind of chuckled, and I went, I'm only half joking, so you didn't even laugh about it. So I'm only half joking. In other words, it's a sacrifice of our time to say, man, I'm going to be there ready to worship with my brothers and sisters on time because I want to be part of the body of Christ worshiping with one voice. Can we grow in that? It's a sacrifice in laying down our lives for one another. You see that in the life of Priscilla and Aquila here. Now, let's keep on going. So you say, Pastor Mike, you've only gotten through three names. We're in trouble. We've got 22 more to go. Just hang on. We're not going to spend that much time on all of them. So verse 5, he continues, and he says, Greet my beloved Epinatus who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Asia is really referring to Asia Minor. It's where Paul began his ministry like 15 or 20 years earlier. Here's what stands out to me is that Paul, now 20 years later, has probably seen thousands of people come to Christ. He has discipled hundreds of people. And now 20 years later, he knows the exact location. He remembers the exact name of this person who came to Christ. Paul's ministry was a whole lot more than stats. It was people. He says, greet Epinatus. He's there in the church now. I pray he's growing. He was the first person in my missionary journeys that came to Christ. Now he's a part of the church at Rome. Can you imagine the stories he had? God's brought him out of this church at Rome. Keep going. Verse 6. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Is that Jesus' mom, Mary? No, it's not Jesus' mom. Mary was a very common name in that day. Here's what we know about Mary. Look at the verb. It says, greet Mary who has, past tense, worked hard for you. If you circle your Bible, circle the idea of worked hard. Here's what that word literally means. She has labored to the point of exhaustion for you. I don't know if Paul ever met Mary, but the reputation of Mary had made its way all the way to Paul. Here's a woman in the church. It's past tense, which implies she's an older lady, maybe a senior saint, that her reputation was so great, Paul knows her as the woman who laid down her life for that church. And I say, I look out, I see some faces. I thought of this as I was reading this, and as I prepared, there are some senior saints in our church, and I'm even looking at some of your faces right now. You have been a part of this local fellowship for 30 years since it began, and we stand on your shoulders. Thank you for your labor of love. That was true in the body of Christ at Rome, too. It was built on the shoulders of people like Mary that no one has ever heard about. She gets a little piece of Romans 16, and Paul says, she worked to the point of exhaustion for you. Isn't that awesome? It's the body of Christ. He goes on. He says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Oh, this was incredible. 
We don't know this couple. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Paul says, my kinsmen, evidently they were Jews, my fellow prisoners that at some point had served or been in prison for their faith with the Apostle Paul. He said, this couple, they were well known to the Apostles. Now, the apostles he's talking about there, make the, connect the dots, they were Jewish. He's talking about the apostles. So evidently, Paul's life had intersected this couple in Jerusalem, where the apostles were. And listen, he says, and they were in Christ before me. Now, we can't put all the dots together, but there's a little bit of conjecture here, and we can say this. This married couple, they were Jewish. They had been imprisoned for their faith. They were part of the early church in Jerusalem. They were well-known and recognized by Peter, James, and John. They lived in the days of Stephen and Philip, and all that was going on there in the early church in Jerusalem. Here's a possible conclusion. Part of the first early Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they served alongside the apostles, and watch this. The way Paul says it here, they were either in prison with him or they were in prison because of him. Imagine that. This couple, they were, they were believers way before me. And at the minimum, they saw the transformation of Saul to Paul, persecutor of the church to now champion of the church and they were a vital part of that and Paul says greet this couple they were my fellow prisoners they knew Christ even before me and they were a part of somehow my journey even coming to know Christ wow let's greet this couple there in Rome it keeps going. It just, it just continues. I, this is where I've had to stop. Even as I was reading this the last couple of weeks, I thank God for the body of Christ. You come to verse 8. This one just wears me out. He, he says, I want you to greet a fellow named Ampliatus. He says, my, he, he's my beloved in the Lord. That's a strong term of deep affection. He says, whoever Ampliatus is, Paul loves him dearly. They've had some kind of interaction at this point. They know one another deeply. Here's why Ampliatus matters and why it stands out in the text. Ampliatus, in the days of the Roman Empire, was a slave name. The next name you're going to see, Urbanus, was a slave name. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Ampliatus. Church history helps us a little bit. William Barclay, who is a church historian known for his great history, not known for great theology, but known for great history, said this. He said, located in the Christian catacombs in Rome. Catacombs are those tunnels that are still there under Rome where the church would gather to, uh, to flee persecution and they would worship and they would also bury their dead that were killed for the cause of Christ in the catacombs. Barclay says, to this day, located in the Christian catacombs in Rome is a decorated tomb with a single name, Ampliatus. The fact that the single name alone is carved on the tomb indicates that this person was a slave. Roman citizens always had three names. This person only had one. The elaborate tomb and the bold lettering indicates that he was a man of high rank in the church. In other words, believers buried his body there and gave him such an ornate tomb because of his role in the local church there in Rome, Ampliatus. Barclay goes on. 
For this, it is plain to see that the early days of the church, the distinctions of social rank were so completely wiped out that at one time a man could be a slave and also an influential leader in the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? You got this guy, Ampliatus, who you put the pieces together and at the minimum was a slave in the days of the Roman Empire. You got Urbanus, another slave name. You got Stachus in verse 9. Stachus, what's the big deal about that? All I got on Stachus is his name means ear of corn. (laughs) Evidently, his nickname was Cobb, his old Cobb there, right? That's all I got on Stachus. I think he was from Churchill or something. I don't know. Verse 10. Greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. Every word of God inspired. The word approved is sovereignly chosen. Why? The word approved means this. One who has stood up under the test of fire. I don't know Apelles' story. Paul knew it enough to say, this guy has gone through the fire and his faith is not flinched at all. He is approved. He is held out. He's not approved because he went through the fire, but the fire proved what was true about him. Awesome. Look out at some of you in this room and you're approved. You've gone through the test of fire for the Lord Jesus. Paul says this Apelos, he's approved in Christ. Now listen to this, verse 10. It says, greet those... Who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Hey Paul, why'd you say it like that? Why did you say greet Aristobulus? Well, here's the reason most likely is because Aristobulus was not a believer, but they were members of his family that were. Church history again, William Barclay, again, a historian, adds to this a little bit. He tells us this, Aristobulus was most likely not a believer, but we know that there was a grandson of Herod the Great, who was a close friend of the emperor Claudius there in Rome, who lived in Rome, and his name was Aristobulus. In other words, it is highly possible that this is his family, perhaps servants as well of his household. And the point is, through this guy Aristobulus, who was evidently part of the, uh, was royalty in the imperial palace, members of his household had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel had made its way into the palace of Caesar. Glorious. Who were some of those family members? Maybe verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodian. A clear name of royalty. Herodian, a descendant of Herod. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. That's another family. Narcissus in church history was known, what's this? As the secretary of Emperor Claudius. Nobody got to the emperor without going through Narcissus. Narcissus was not a believer, but some of his family was. So there were at least two families in the imperial palace who had become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible begins to make sense. Years later, Paul is in Rome. He's writing a letter to the church at Philippi from Rome. And he says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 22, All the saints here in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Who were they? Right here we read about it. So the gospel has made its way into Caesar's palace. Not the hotel in Las Vegas. That's not what I'm talking about. I thought palace of Caesar here. 
Here's your big idea number three. The church is a diverse family. Man, I hope you don't miss this. Here in the church, you got royalty. Here in the church, you got slaves. Here in the church, you got nobodies that nobody knows anything about. Here you got men and women that history writes their name because of their significant place in history, all together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious reality that the church of Jesus Christ, the divisions of race, ethnicity, social status, are completely eliminated and wiped away because of the, uh, the grace and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These guys are calling each other brothers and sisters. Nowhere else in the Roman Empire would that type of dynamic happen except in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And nowhere else in our culture are those type of divisions laid aside for the sake of the unity that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is to model that for the world. Church models it for the world. Church is a diverse family. Keep going, just a few more verses and we'll wrap it up. So he says, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> now, evidently, these were sisters. They were twins, as best we can know, because of the structure of the original language. So if you're getting ready to have kids, you're going to have a couple kids. There you go, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. There it is again, this idea of labor to exhaustion. This guy was known for his labor all the way back to the Apostle Paul. Serve faithfully in the church that is sacrificing for one another. Now, verse 13, the name we can all relate to, greet Rufus. Thank God for Rufus. Now, who was Rufus? He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Whoever Rufus is, he has a very dear place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. He says, also greet his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Isn't that incredible? You know, in the Bible, we don't know a lot about Paul's mom. But here it says, this woman, whoever she was, she's like a mom to me. But the body of Christ is to step in when no blood relatives exist and be the mom and be the father. That's what the church is to do. That's what the church did here, the church at Rome. Now, Pastor Mike, what's the big deal about Rufus? Well, there is a big deal about Rufus. I want you to see this. Rufus was well-known in the church at Rome, and Rufus was well-known in the church in Jerusalem. Rufus was well-known. Rufus's daddy was well-known. How do you know that, Pastor Mike? Because the Gospel of Mark tells us something about Rufus. The Gospel of Mark was written primarily to Gentiles. That's why Mark wrote primarily to the church at Rome. Paul wrote, writes this, or, uh, Mark writes this gospel to explain the life of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells of an account of a man, a Jewish believer, who came from Cyrene, which is North Africa. He was a Jew. He came to celebrate the Passover. And when he comes to celebrate the Passover, the Roman centurions catch him and say, hey, we need you to carry the cross of this fellow. He's going to be crucified. You want to see that? Watch this. Mark 15. And they compelled a passerby 
Simon of Cyrene. That's a Jewish name. He was there to celebrate the Passover. He wasn't a believer in the Messiah at this point, evidently. And who was coming from that country, North Africa? Who is this guy? Well, the church at Rome knew who this guy was because they knew his son better than they knew him. They said, oh, he's the father of Alexander, who shows up in Ephesians chapter 19, and old Rufus. In other words, Rufus is the son of the dude that carried the cross of Jesus. And evidently, this Jew from North Africa who came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover met the living Messiah, was born again, became a believer, evidently led his boys to Christ, his wife came to Christ, and Paul said, even this mother of Rufus has been like a mother to me. That amazing. Rufus. All here in this Romans 16. Keeps going, verse 14. He says just a few more. He says, Greet Ascronitus, Lagan, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, all these different names. He says, Greet Philegus, Julie. We don't, we don't know a lot about these guys. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot more. In verse 16, he says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, you understand, there's some parts of the Bible you don't have to necessarily take literally, right? In this culture, it was a great term of endearment, even for men, because of their great love for one another. Man, when they, were great, they would wrap arms around one, and there was an exchange of a holy kiss. Paul is saying, I have such deep affection for you. He says, you greet my brothers that are there. You greet my sisters that are there. I love you, you have so impacted my life. And you get to the end of this chapter, or you get to the end of this section, and you're reminded of what I said at the beginning. Man, a life that is well lived in pursuit of Jesus, a life that is well lived in holding to the truth and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to eat and bear the fruit of meaningful, enduring relationships with others. You get a whole chapter about it. Get a whole chapter of seeing the grace of God manifest in relationships with people that he gives us within the body of Christ. Men and women that we're in the trenches with and that we walk alongside with and that we're in the, the foxhole making Jesus known. Listen, this was a tight-knit group because they were the minority in the city of Rome. It cost you something in these days in the city of Rome to name the name of Jesus. And because of that, man, they were with one another. No one told them to come on Tuesday night for life group. They couldn't wait to be together. Because they felt that they were on the fringe of society and they had been given a mission and they needed the body of Christ and they needed each other. And Paul says, I love this church. I love these people. And it is a beautiful thing to acknowledge and recognize. Watch this. The grace of God, when you look at the manifold beauty of his body, only God could put together the body of Christ. Only God. Only God could put together this group. Only God could put together this church. God's grace is manifest in Christ, and God's grace is manifest in the body of Christ. Thank God for the body of Christ. Amen. I think we could just conclude this way. This is big idea number four. The team, you guys come on up and just begin to play. We're going to kind of enter into a time of response. And I pray the word of God will just do its work in you this morning. I, I think we could probably say it this way. Big idea number four is this. The church is a redeemed community of Jesus followers on mission together. 
Anybody ever heard that? If you haven't, we've blown it. You hear it every Sunday. It's, it's the identity statement of our church. It's the identity statement of every true church. Listen, we are a redeemed community. What do we have to celebrate? The grace of God, the redemption found in Jesus Christ. Anything we've accomplished? Nope. The redemption in Christ. A redeemed community. What's true about us? We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's true of us? We have been given a mission that we build our lives around. And finally, we get to do all of that together. Together. You see that lived out in Romans 16. And I'm eternally grateful that we get to live that out here as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Would you bow your head there for a minute? Here's how I want you to ponder on the Word of God this morning and maybe what you've heard. First question I have for you, sir and ma'am, as you're here this morning. Have you ever been born again? All the stuff we're talking about the body of Christ. When a person meets Jesus, when a person realizes their, their deep sin, when a person realizes that the answer is God's provision through Jesus, they are born again by faith, repenting of sin, turning to Him, and you begin a relationship with God through Christ. You also begin a relationship with God's people. Question for you this morning. Have you ever been born again? Has there been a time in your life that you've truly come to realize your desperate need for salvation, repentance, forgiveness. You need a sin bearer. And Jesus is it. If you haven't this morning, here's my request of you. Run to Christ. He has taken your sin. He has gone to the grave. He has rose from the dead. He is who he says he is. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray that for you this morning. You're here and you already know Christ. You're a believer. And how do you view the body of Christ? How do you view God's people? And not a building, not programs, redeemed people. The arms, the hands, the feet of Christ on earth, following our King, making Him known. Are you living being served by the body or are you kind of stiff-arming the body? Are you giving your gifts and your time and your resources to the body of Christ or are you just on the fringe? Man, run to the body of Christ. Run to the people of God. Father, we love you. God, I thank you that in a passage that seems to be as obscure as Romans 16, God, you manifest your greatness. Thank you. Thank you for the Spirit of God and how you build a church. Lord, how you've called us out of darkness. God, you've given us brothers and sisters. You've given us a family. Thank you. We love you this morning. Let us now respond, Lord, in song with one voice. We will now praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.